What is the great ambition of your life? What is the life goal that you pursue every year, every week, every day? How about people who know you best? What would they say? What do do they see you prizing? What do they see you pursuing? What do they see you wanting more than anything else in life? Now let's say up front we may all be somewhat self-deceived. What we believe is our life ambition may not be quite as much as we think that it is. And we should also say certainly there are many ways that one's life ambition could be articulated, articulated faithfully. But all that aside, I think we need to understand as believers in Christ, as a church gathering together here today, that if Jesus Christ is your Savior, your life ambition should be to grow in holiness. To become a holy person is what we should want and what we should be pursuing. Over the past few weeks, we have considered the biblical doctrine of holiness And there's been a logical progression to this series. And for those that have not been with us, seek to think along these lines. For those that have, will see this progression as necessary. Our first task was to see in Scripture that God is a holy God. He is absolutely, incomparably, transcendently distinct. Holy unlike anything else and wholly consistent with the moral perfections of His being. He never does wrong. He is a holy God. Having established that God is a holy God, we then found in Scripture that holiness is a communicable attribute of God. That that is, it is an attribute that we are to take on. Because God is a holy God, then secondly, we are to be holy people. That is His call upon our lives. And thirdly, today we now consider the pursuit of holiness. He is holy. We are to be holy. We must then pursue holiness because that's not what we are. We are not the faithful and godly and holy people that we ought to be. There's progress to be made. And it is to that matter that we turn our attention today. This indeed, this pursuit of holiness, is to be a vital occupation. The grand ambition of our lives to become like Christ. How far we fall short. And yet, is it what we want? Is it what we pursue? Is it who we are? We stepped a foot into this emphasis last week in our study in 1 Peter be holy because I am holy. And we mentioned some of these themes that I want to chase them further today, this pursuit of holiness. We learn in a succinct exhortation in the 12th chapter of Hebrews that the pursuit of holiness is to be a fundamental ambition of our lives. I invite you there to that 12th chapter, Hebrews 12 and verse 14. I'd like to take this brief but pregnant statement And to unpack it as we consider our calling as saints, as the holy people of God. The pattern of this church is to trace through more extensive sections of Scripture. But from time to time, I think it is important to stop on a phrase, 
on a sentence, on a statement. And we'll do that today as we consider this theme of pursuing holiness. For we find it here, very succinct form, verse 14 of Hebrews 12. The Scripture says, Strive for peace with everyone, and strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for the holiness without which, if you're lacking it, you will not see God. We find here then this call to holiness. We want to consider that first of all. We find the imperative, the command. Strive for holiness. The Greek word could be translated, as it is here, strive for, or aspire to, or pursue after. Some translations use that English word. To pursue holiness. To strive for it. Aspiring to it. We're to live our earthly lives in active pursuit of holiness. Now there are business leaders, acrobats, musicians, athletes, teachers, writers, parents, and the like, who are unambitious people. They really are pretty lazy in their pursuit of their calling in life. But there are others who make it their life ambition to pursue excellence. You can probably think of a teacher, a musician, an athlete, You can think of some example of an individual who has made the pursuit of their calling in life, their occupation, a matter of great ambition and effort and pursuit. Thinking in those terms, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, your life ambition should be to become a holy person to grow increasingly pure and increasingly devoted to the cause of Jesus Christ. That should be our life pursuit. We can be a lazy Christian, an unambitious believer, or we can choose to pursue holiness with energy and strength. But before we talk about what this means practically, it is vital that we grasp an important distinction. This imperative, this command to pursue holiness is vital. But it is not all that the Bible teaches about holiness by any means. Before we pursue holiness, we must first recognize that the New Testament reveals two aspects of holiness, one being unique as the foundational aspect and what we are not finding here. I have lost something. There it is. It is under the bulletin. That's <laughs> Forgive me. Thank you. I, I want to help us here because I think just visually this will aid. Two aspects or two conceptions of sanctification. It's vital that we see this. Now, if, if you're here, it's, I'm not interested in holiness at all. I don't really knock that concern that God is holy. I don't want to become a holy person. This will be probably fairly dull. But for those who say, I want to be like God, I want to grow in holiness of life, this is vital. It's vital to your walk with the Lord. So if you're in that first group and this is not real helpful to you, hang on, we'll come somewhere else in a few moments. But for those that say the pursuit of holiness is an ambition I know and want to follow, we need to understand these two aspects of sanctification. 
The first is positional or definitive sanctification. A definitive, this speaks of a definitive, once for all work of God who sets the believer apart from the world to serve God's purposes as his people. This aspect of holiness starts with God. When I trust Jesus Christ as full payment for my sin, His death, when I trust the death of Jesus Christ as full payment for my sins, and when I place my trust in Jesus' bodily resurrection as the only hope of escaping God's wrath, the Holy Spirit at that place washes me and cleanses me from sin. I'm made His. I am, as we use the word, sanctified. I'm made a holy one. At that moment, I am positionally, definitively, united to Christ and set apart by God as a holy one or as a saint. So this starts and ends with God. This is a work of God. It's definitive. It has taken place. We find this, in fact, in this book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10. In Hebrews 10 and verse 10, the author says, and by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We have been sanctified, in the Greek text, for those who are tracing, is a perfect passive. A perfect tense is the idea of something that has come to settle down upon us. It was a work in progress that has now taken place and is definitive. This has happened and is a reality of our lives. It's not something going on, not here in Hebrews 10.10. It's something that's taken place. We have been sanctified. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, the apostle speaks to the church at Corinth with these words. As he's of, he speaks of them in, these, in this way, as those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. They are called to be saints by God. We have been sanctified. This is position, our position in Christ. Now there's a second aspect of holiness. That is progressive or developmental sanctification. This aspect of holiness is actively pursued by the believer. This aspect of holiness takes ambition. It takes spiritual sweat. It takes activity on our part. It is the aspect of holiness in which we progressively grow more and more holy. So are we sanctified or are we not? In the positional sense, yes, it is a past reality that has taken place. We have been sanctified. But there's an ongoing, there's an ongoing progressive sense of sanctification which is developmental in our lives. This is so important to note this distinction because we must understand that it is the first aspect that you see here on the screen. It's that first aspect that is the foundation of our pursuit of holiness, not the second. 
Let me say that a different way. Pursuing holiness does not start with my ambition. It's not, as we mentioned, I said we put our foot into this last week, it's not, as I said last week, getting my act together, turning over a new leaf, and now I will become a holy person. The pursuit of holiness starts with what God has done. It starts with our positional sanctification in Jesus Christ. We must never forget that our sufficiency is not rooted in our ambition, in our plans, in our desires. It's rooted ultimately in the sovereign God who has chosen to make us His holy people. I cannot put myself in Christ. And I can no more make myself holy. Resting in my own abilities. But once we have been declared righteous by God, once we have entered this positional sanctification, once He has by His saving grace made me a holy person, now I'm to pursue ongoing holiness. Because it's pretty clear. When we trust Christ as Savior, we are washed of our sin. There is, it, we're not partially washed. We're not mostly saved. We are saved. We are declared righteous by the Lord then and there. But isn't it also pretty obvious we're not all we're going to become? We're not all that we should be. There's work to be done in our lives. and That's the process of progressive sanctification. I'm secured in Christ positionally for time and eternity, but I need to grow in holiness because there is sin in my life. There is ungodliness that clings to me and I need to grow and mature in my calling. Let me come back to those, if I'm speaking to anyone here, and you say, I'm really not interested in these things. This is just, I, I, I just find no connection to this call to holiness. I say by way of warning, and I say by way of love and compassion, that you need to come to realize the holiness of God is a big deal. It's important. God is a holy God. And He calls upon us to walk before Him in absolute moral perfection. The problem is we don't. And the reality is that we must be reconciled to God. Your sin separates you from God in His holiness and it damns you. Because it's not about you being pretty good or better than the people around you. It is how you stand up to the measure of the perfectly holy God. And we all fall short of His glory. And one of the problems in this is if you are a religious person. I go to church, I do good things, and you might even be here today trying to become a little better person, hoping that you'll pick up something from the sermon that allows you to do a little better job at it. I don't mean to disappoint you, but you're not going to pick up any such points here today. In fact, our religious activities are, are useless in making us acceptable to God. Our righteous deeds, the Scripture says, are as filthy rags. But more than just useless, they can be very destructive because they lead you to think you're okay the way you are. 
that if I'm better than other people, I'm acceptable in the sight of God. What we need to see is the blazing glory of God's perfect holiness. And what we need to then see is we do not run from that holiness, but we run to it. We run to the light. We need to find refuge in Jesus Christ. You must run to Christ for refuge. He will wash you clean. He will give you His robes of righteousness to cover your sin and make you His holy child. Come to Christ today. You need His gift of holiness. You need this positional sanctification. For those who know Christ as Savior, do you imagine that God saved you from hell and does not equally save you from sin? In this life, as well as in the life to come. He saves us, breaking the power of sin. Now, as I mentioned, sin clings to us in the flesh. It's a process of getting free of the sins that pull us down. We remain incomplete. But Jesus saved you to make you holy. You will be made perfectly holy when you enter His presence. But He did not save you only for that event. He saved, to make you holy. he saved you to make you holy here and now. Let me give a few practical ideas of how to pursue holiness. These are not novel. They're, it's not rocket science. And I'm thankful for that. It's not just the special people who really get it can grow in holiness. It's not those with a lot of money or family connections that can grow in holiness. It's not difficult when it comes to what we need to pursue. But let's talk just momentarily, practically speaking. If I'm really going to pursue holiness, what do I do? How do I pursue holiness? Remember, as, as this, this passage says, strive for holiness. How? We know this well as a church, but we need to read the Bible. The Word of God needs to be something that you are filtering through your mind privately. You need to be reading Scripture and seeking to understand it. As families, we need to gather around the Word of God so that holiness is being pursued in light of God's revealed truth. The Scriptures read in the family and understood to be part of the family conversation, studied together. We need to consistently gather with the body of Christ to hear God's Word proclaimed. Sanctification involves this. It involves knowing who God is, what God wants of us, and what God has planned for us. It is in knowing and reading, considering the Scriptures, that we learn these truths and they sanctify. They purify us by taking in this truth. Jesus said... Pray to the Father, sanctify them, my followers, through the truth. Your word is truth. As we consider the truth of God's word, we are purified by it. Get in front of the Bible. Read it. Come to know it. Come to understand it. Privately, family, church, always feeding on Scripture. That's the pursuit of holiness, if done rightly. Secondly, we need to orient our life focus on making moral choices that we know will please God. Now that follows directly from the first. If I'm reading the Bible, I need to put it into practice. But here, think of it in, these way, in this way. 
to focus on making moral choices that I know will please God? Does that mark the orientation of your life? To be considering what does God want? What has He revealed? What has He said? I want to live that way. Thirdly, we need to be praying people. To pray regularly. To learn to wait in the presence of God. To ask Him to help us see who we really are and what needs to change in order to grow in holiness. To sever the root of pride through prayer. To seek the face of the Lord. We need to fourthly walk with other believers. To have others with whom we can discuss sin. To confess our sins. To seek counsel of one another. To edify and build one another up in the faith. God made us to be a community of faith that walks together and encourages and lifts one another up in that faith. It's not a group that seeks to discourage. It's not a group that seeks to critique. It's not individuals standing on the edges telling everyone what's wrong. It's walking together as a family of God, as Scripture indicates over and again, so that the body of Christ builds itself up in love. There needs to be a connection to a family of God where you are accountable. Where you have identified and covenanted to walk in faithfulness and to edify the church. You need that. And the church needs that. So that together we're a group that's pulling everyone up to Christ. Number five, we need to work at hating sin and develop disciplines that keep us from it. We love by nature to flirt with sin, to welcome it, to embrace it. We need to learn to hate it, to have a hatred towards sin like God has a hatred towards sin. This is our calling. And this is how we pursue holiness. And in light of this practical list, is it then your ambition to live a holy life? Is that your ambition, your life orientation? Secondly, I'd like to bring out of this text not merely the call to pursue holiness, but the idea that this is not an option. So secondly, we see here in Hebrews 12, 14, the necessity of pursuing holiness. Strive for holiness, we see that, but then we have this phrase, without which no one will see the Lord. The holiness, I think we should take as that kind of holiness, and it's that kind of holiness that is real. Jesus talked about some holy people who were pretty ungodly. He talked about the Pharisees who were distinctive people. They were very religious, very devout, and in that way they were holy as far as being separate and distinct from a godless world around them. But their holiness was not the kind of holiness that leads anywhere but straight to hell. There is a genuine kind of holiness Not mere religious activity, but a genuine kind of holiness that we are to pursue. And alarmingly, it is the kind of holiness without which no one will see the Lord. There's this kind of holiness. You don't have it, you don't see God. That's a serious word. 
Now, if you do not comprehend the difference between positional holiness and progressive holiness, this verse will likely strike you as indicating that it is by striving for holiness that we earn our salvation. Many years ago, my teens and early 20s, I read this verse many times, numerous times. It, it, it just really never hit me. But where the verse hit me was, I was probably about 24, 25 years of age, and there's a book that was written by Jerry Bridges called In Pursuit of Holiness. Very simple book, straightforward, helpful, very convicting and encouraging to me at that point in my life. But he used this phrase, pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And because it was there as the title of a chapter, I really had to face this verse like I'd never faced it before. And I was struggling to find categories to understand how this is the case. It comes across as seeming to indicate that if we don't make progress in holiness, we won't gain salvation. So isn't our salvation based on what we do? I had to work through that and think through I knew that wasn't the case, but I, I, I didn't quite know how to take this verse. Oh, how do you read it? Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. I think that is clearly saying that there's a kind of holiness we need to strive for and attain to a certain degree or we will not enter heaven. Does that mess with your theology? Does it mess with our understanding of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone? I don't think that it needs to at all. I think the point is this. When God justifies us and counts us righteous, when He makes us His holy people by faith in the gospel, at that moment He sets us apart and He puts us on a path to grow in holiness. He orchestrates that process. As our lives unfold, then, if we do not strive for and make progress in holiness, there's only one reason, and that's that we've not received positional sanctification. Now, I, I'm not for a moment saying that we are all given the ability to discern where everyone is at in that process. Sin clings to all of us. But theoretically, if I have no ambition to be a holy man, if my life does not demonstrate some growth in holiness, the reason is because I've not been saved. If I have been chosen as God's holy person and made His holy saint, there will be progress in that direction. If I am genuinely saved, there will be a stirring in my heart to be a holy person. Holiness will be a taste that makes me salivate on some level, a prospect that makes me dream, a gravitational pull in my heart that weans me off the sensual pleasures of the flesh in this fallen world. Now again, to what degree? How we understand people and where they are? We're not God and we can't always know where someone is. But this gravitational pull to holiness is what God gives us. One author said many years ago, Say not that thou hast royal blood in thy veins and are born of God, except thou canst prove thy pedigree by daring to be holy. 
In other words, do not claim God is your Father if you're not interested in pursuing the holiness that flows from His being. Seen in this way, the warning makes perfect sense. Without this kind of holiness, no one will see the Lord. A pursuit of holiness is one of the evidences that we've been made a holy person by the work of Christ. And without it, let's take at face value that warning, we will not see the Lord. I'd like you for a moment just to imagine. You're ten years old. And an angel comes from the throne of God with an absolutely assured message to you. This is imagination, okay? (laughs) But you're 10 years old and comes with this absolute assured message. The angel tells you you're not going to graduate from high school. The reason is, is that you're going to contract glaucoma and be blind. Things aren't going to work out very well because your parents are going to be involved in a tragic accident. They will die. You will be put in a foster home where you will be unloved. You will be virtually penniless as you leave that home. And to make matters worse, your identity will be stolen, all of your money gone, and you will die a premature death, ten years of horrible suffering in a hospital as a ward of the state and dying a horrifically painful death. That's your future. You'd have to say that is devastating news. How would that affect you to know that's where my life journey is headed? This is the difficulty. This is the warning that I've received from this angel about what's going to happen with my life from this place forward. If you can just for a moment sense how that news would be taken... The news that we find, the warning that we find here in this passage is infinitely worse. The news from this angel as a ten-year-old would not begin to compare with never seeing the Lord. God is the source of every pleasure and every good gift comes from Him alone. Not seeing God is infinitely worse than all of the bad news heaped up in one pile. He's the source of every good gift, the source of every pleasure. To not see the Lord is to enter into judgment and eternal destruction. This is nothing less than a warning of suffering God's just and eternal punishment. And so, make every effort to pursue holiness. If you don't, you will never see God in eternity. Again, the idea is not to run from the holiness of God, but to run to it. He is our refuge who makes us His child. We are saved by grace alone. But having been saved, He puts us on this journey to grow in holiness, without which we will not see the Lord. And the beauty of this is that now it's not simply my task. God has chosen me as His own, made me a holy individual. 
He's saved me by faith in Christ crucified and risen, and now it's up to me to grow in holiness. We find something very different in Scripture and that, that this combination comes between the two of us. That God is indeed at work in our lives to make us holy people. He's doing something. If you've come to truly trust Him as Savior, He's doing something in you. He's bringing you to holiness. This is a very sketchy trace of that work. But as we have time here, as we close, growth through suffering, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 10. Notice that verse. Our parents, Hebrews 12, 10, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. So there's progressive sanctification in view here, but we are learning His holiness and growing in holiness through the suffering that we face in this life. So there's growth through suffering. There is secondly bodily discipline. 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 3 through 5, we'll not reread them as we read them in unison here earlier today. To learn to control your body in the pursuit of holiness. Thirdly, the renewing of the mind. That we would be transformed, Romans 12.2 says, by the renewal of our minds. Learning God's truth. Being convicted of that truth. And learning to think the way that God wants us to think. Number four, fighting for faith. Fight the good fight of faith, Paul says to Timothy. That we are always striving to trust and believe God at His Word. And to rest in His eternal promises. His Word, our faith in it. Growth in holiness. Fifth, zealous for good works. Titus 2 says that God saved us for this reason. That we might become a people zealous for good works. Wanting to do what is right. Wanting to please the Lord. Training us God's grace. To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Because Jesus sanctified us, quote, to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for Himself a people for His own possession. Zealous for good works. A zeal to do what is right. And finally, just in this list, resisting sin. We have died to sin Our old self has been crucified with Christ. How can we live any longer in it? We're always tempted to say, well, let me tell you how. There's a lot of ways I can continue living in sin. But we know what Paul means. That power of sin has been severed in our life. And so consistently and progressively, we learn to say no to sin and yes to the grace of God and walk in righteousness. I'll put this list through your mind and think of it. Suffering, discipline, thinking, faith, works, fighting and hating sin. In this process between God and the believer, we become increasingly holy, making progress in holiness. This is our calling. So we ask, what is your life ambition? What we consider here, and in various places, is that God's ambition is that we become holy people. Is it ours? It is for God's ambition that we become holy people that He gave us new life in Christ. 
to redeem a people of His own possession, zealous for good works. Zealous to live out the life of Christ. So we should band together as a family of God devoted to this pursuit of holiness. This is why Jesus saved us. This is in Christ who we are positionally. And it is this ambition then that should mark our lives for the glory of God. This is not novel, nothing new to this church, but it is a call to all of us to consider again, what is my ambition? As a believer in Christ, it is to be a holy people. And to join with a community of believers who desires to make that progress forward, lifting one another up in the faith. For some, that seems really intimidating. I mean, you don't know what kind of sin is in my life. I really struggle to think of being with other people who want to pursue holiness. Don't fear. Just come along. Because we're all sinners and have much to change. As God looks at our lives, He's not impressed with any one of us. Not impressed with you, He's not impressed with me. And no matter how far away you are on the journey of holiness, there's a body of believers that wants to make progress. And that's all that we're asking. Is that we're on the right path, heading in the right direction. Doesn't matter how far the journey's taken you at this point. Don't fear. Grow with other believers. That's God's call in our life. And let's run together. Let's run together as Christ's church to be encouraging and building one another up in holy living. This is our ambition that we share. This is our expectation of one another. This is who we are as the church of Christ. One holy ambition to be one holy people of God. Let's bow for prayer. We give thanks, Father, for what You have done for us in Christ. Right now, I trust and in my own soul that the prayers of confession would be ascending, that we would take account of our life and the false and small ambitions, the things that drive us that we pursue at all costs. Hear our prayers of confession and repentance. And I pray, Father, that You will move uniquely in this congregation today to draw to Christ anyone who knows Him not as Savior. I pray that there would be a growing sense of the fear of a holy God and of the wonder of salvation in Christ. For those of us who know You, may we now stand and sing with joy in our soul that Christ is our hope and our life. We pause before You in thanksgiving, not because we're impressed with our holiness and our pursuit of You, but because we give thanks that You have given us life in Jesus and have called us to be Your people. 
Without this holiness, no one will see the Lord. But Father, because you're working it in us, we have that prospect. We will see the Lord. And we will be like him in perfection someday. May we live with a bent and an orientation to that end, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand with me as we sing.